A Love Story, spoken by Pastor Sunita Ponton. Good morning, Metro. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that our eyes have seen and all that our ears have heard. And God, we thank you for this time to share your word together. God, I have prayed and prepared as best I know how, but you must preach this word. Lord, I have studied your scripture, but you must send the Holy Spirit. And Heavenly Father, I have written words on paper, but I pray, God, that you would write them on our hearts, that we would always be reminded of how much you love us. And now, O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children, wherever you are, said amen. I remember it as if it were yesterday. The bride and the groom stood before the minister on their wedding day. All of their friends and family were in attendance. The day had finally come. The minister looked down on the groom and recites the vows to which he tells the groom to respond, I will. And he does. Then the minister looks to the bride. He recites the same vows and asks her to respond. She is silent. He waits. She looks around. The wedding attendees are confused. The groom asks her, are you all right? And she stutters. I, I, and then out of nowhere, the true love of her life appears in the aisle. Whitley, I love you. And if you'll have me, I want you to be my wife. Will you have me, Dwayne, to be your lawfully wedded husband from this day forth, to have and to hold for richer or for poorer? Baby, please, please. I do, she says. And the wedding explodes, as do our emotions. You see, that was the wedding of Dwayne Wayne and Whitley Gilbert on the television show, A Different World. It was a show from the 1990s about students attending a historically black college. And as all good shows have, for seasons, the episodes revolved in part around the off-again, off on-again relationship between Dwayne and Whitley, who were inevitably destined to be together. I loved that show, and I especially loved that episode. There's something about these couples and their stories. There's Rachel and Ross, Jack and Rebecca, and another personal favorite of mine, Carrie and Big. Some of us may hate to admit it, but I would guess that most of us love a good love story. Maybe during this pandemic, you found yourself going back and re-watching rom-coms or been-watching some of your favorite episodes. I know I have. But of all the movies I've watched and books I've read, the greatest love story of them all is found right here in our Bible. It's quite dramatic, but it's probably not what you're thinking. Yes, there's the story of Jacob and Rachel. He, he waits seven years to marry her, and then her father dupes him, and he has to wait another seven years before he's able to marry her. That's pretty good, but that's not it. And then Solomon loves his beloved so much that he writes an entire book, the Song of Solomon, about her, but that's not it either. The greatest love story, the best romance, better than anything Hollywood can produce, is the story of God constantly trying to show us how much he loves us. We see it happen from the very beginning. God creates Adam and Eve in his own image, breathes the breath of life into them, and then get, gives them the Garden of Eden to enjoy. 
But from the beginning, we also see the people of the Bible seemingly unaware of the deep passion God has for them. Instead of embrace and rest in God's love, Adam and Eve resist it. And so the pattern begins. The greatest story of unrequited love. God loves us so deeply, so desperately, so completely, and yet time and time again, it goes unreciprocated. Many times it goes misunderstood, but yet and still God pours his love out on the people of the Bible and to us like a love-struck suitor. Now, maybe it doesn't seem like God loves you that much, especially this year with so much sickness and death and loss of life, loss of jobs, loss of security, but trust me, he does. He's given us 66 books in the Bible, declaring his love, not just for humanity, but for you specifically. That's what the passage that we're going to read today reminds us about this morning. God has written another love letter to his people. He's written a love letter indeed to us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And the word of God reads as follows. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Now, if you imagine God with longing puppy dog eyes, panting away at the people, read the text again. That's not what we find here at all. Here we find a love so strong, so powerful, so mighty that he turns the world upside down. He maneuvers political forces just to draw his beloveds back to himself. No, this is no sappy love song, love story. This is the story of what some might call the ride or die God or the, the do or die God. This is the story of the God who will move heaven and earth to show his people his love for them. This is the story of the God who doesn't just say he loves his people, but shows it with every single move that he makes. This love is almighty and all-powerful. It's enduring and everlasting. It's far-reaching and all-encompassing. This is a love that searches for you, that goes to the ends of the earth for you. It waits for you and it believes in you. It is a love that never gives up, never loses hope. It never fails. This is a love that fights for you. Now, you may have felt alone and abandoned in this pandemic, but God has still been fighting for you. And what makes God's love so incredible is that his beloveds, the objects of his love, are so seemingly undeserving. 
When we find the people of Israel in the text, they're in exile. Let me give you a little bit of Bible history here. Judah, the southern region of Israel, aligns herself with Assyria, a foreign nation, who then attacks and captures the northern kingdom of Israel. Assyria is later captured by Babylon. Babylon invades Judah, destroys Jerusalem and the temple, and forces many of the Jews into exile in Babylon. This happens around 586 BC. Now those are the political or military reasons why Israel finds itself in exile. But there are some spiritual reasons as well. You see, if you look back at chapter 42 in Isaiah, you will find that Israel was put into exile not by Babylon, but by God. The prophet Isaiah tells them that it was God who placed them into captivity. He reminds Israel that they are being held captive because they sinned against the Lord. Now, this is not about another country having better army or greater uh, military acumen. God was punishing Israel because they would not walk in his ways and they would not obey his law. Israel's own sinfulness caused them to fall into exile and Babylonian captivity. Although all God had ever asked of the people of Israel is to obey his commands, they just wouldn't do it. Well, let me be more accurate. They wouldn't do it consistently. The people of Israel would follow God for a while, and then they would get really comfortable and then complacent and then fall into following the ways, following the ways of other gods. They would worship Baal and start practicing the rituals of foreign people. They did not show their unending love for God. They did not show a singular love for God. Instead, they disobeyed him. And for God, obedience is directly related to one's love for him. Jesus said it best, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. We all know that love is an action word. People can tell us they love us all the time, but how do they actually treat us? Israel's actions were not saying that they loved the Lord. And if we're honest with one another, we will admit that our own actions don't always show that we love the Lord. How much time have you truly given to God in this pandemic? All of us at one time or another have failed to walk in God's ways or to obey his law. We have killed people at the very least with our words. When someone doesn't match up to our standards, we criticize them. We've committed adultery against people and certainly against God. It's a good thing the Bible says that God is married to the backslider because we've given our hearts over to men and women who didn't deserve him. We've given our minds over to junk, to greed, to consumption, to unrealistic representations, or what my mom would just call plain foolishness. We've given our time more to the temporal things than to the eternal. We've lied. We've been jealous. We've coveted that person's house or car or family or even their relationship with God. And just like the people of Israel, it seems to go in cycles for us too. You know how it goes. We'll be doing really well or so we think. We're loving God. We're obeying him. We're going to worship. We're in our small group. We're praying. We're making real changes in our lives. And then something happens. Maybe a pandemic comes and throws you off course. Maybe stress enters your life and we shift our focus. Maybe soul care unearths some things about ourselves that we'd rather forget. And we turn away from God. And then we fall. We go through the same cycle as the Israelites. This is why seeking forgiveness is so important. At some point, we all fall short of the glory of God. The good news is 
is that despite our sinfulness, God loves us anyway. Now, if God were a human, we might think he was a little crazy. Many of us would shake our heads and we'd just say, look, they're just not that into you. Leave them alone. We'd see it as a one-sided relationship with one person doing all the work, expending all the emotional energy, putting all of themselves into this and getting nothing in return. If this were any other relationship, we'd say it's time to cut them off. But that's not what God does. Yes, he punishes us, but we certainly don't get what we deserve. Isaiah tells us at the end of chapter 42 that God poured out the heat of his anger and the fury of war. He does allow Israel to go into Babylon, Babylonian captivity. He does allow them to go into exile. He does allow us to feel torn and feel guilty. He does keep us up at night tormented by our sin. He does disrupt our peace. God punishes, but for our good. And only for a while. There is always redemption and restoration in God's punishment. Just when the people of Israel are starting to wonder how long will this exile last, just when they're probably wondering if their children will die in exile, if they'll ever return to Jerusalem, just when you thought you couldn't take it without one more night of sleep, just when you wondered how long you'd be racked with guilt or if God had finally abandoned you, that he couldn't possibly stand your sinfulness any longer, just when you thought that God had given up on you and turned away, have you ever felt that way? We've been nine months in COVID exile, lockdown. Many of us have been asking, how long, God? Even with a vaccine on the way, it's still going to be months, maybe even a year before we feel something like how we felt before, where we can breathe a sigh of relief. I wouldn't venture to say that God is punishing us, but if he were, he'd certainly have every right to. Humanity is not without our deep sins. War, greed, thirsting after power, human trafficking, immigrant children still in cages, racism, sexism, the destruction of God's creation. We could go on and on. Have COVID stay-at-home orders begun to feel like exile? The uncertainty of school openings and closings, the loss of life as we know it, social distancing keeping us from embracing our loved ones, especially during this holiday season. The fear of contraction, or worse, spreading it to someone else. You love your family, but all day long? Limited places to go. Thank God for the grocery store. It's become a, a vacation destination. Now, if you haven't been there yet, God bless you. But I know there are many of us, including myself, who have reached our pandemic limit and then some. And yet God says... But now, that's good news. If there were ever a time where I was happy to see two words, it's now, but now. Because you see, if you remember your grammar, you'll remember that but is an important word. It's a coordinating conjunction. It makes a distinction between things. It shows the conflict between things and lets us know that a change is on the way. What was supposed to happen before the but won't happen after. In the midst of your pain, but now. In the midst of your hopelessness, but now. In the midst of your guilt, your exile. In the midst of a COVID pandemic, but 
now, in the midst of a Christmas season that feels so different from anything we've ever known before, but now. But now God sends a message of hope and a message of love. God sends you a love letter. God sends a love letter to you right in the midst of exile, right in the midst of a pandemic. God is writing to you. Through the prophet Isaiah, he says in verse 1, the B clause, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. This reminds them that he created them. He reminds them that the beginning, that from the very beginning they belonged to him. He was the one who created them in his own image. He was the one who breathed the breath of life into their bodies. He was the one who claimed them as his people and gave them the law. And because he created them and he formed them, he's not going to forsake them. He doesn't just create us and leave us to fend for ourselves. Later in Isaiah, he'll remind us, can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion to the child of her womb? Even they may forget, but I will not forget you, says the Lord. Because the Lord created us, he will not leave us in exile. Because he loves us, he will not forsake us. When God hears our cries, he will react. God will move on our behalf when we're in exile because he created us. And if you don't believe me, believe God's word. When God called Moses to, to, uh, when God called Moses, he told him, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. When God heard the cries of his people, he stepped in. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't just create us and walk away. No, he promises. Look at verse 2. In verse 2 of Isaiah 43, God says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Look at verse 5. In verse 5, he says, do not fear, for I am with you. One of God's greatest promises to us is that he will be with us. Yes, you will have to wade through water and you may have to doggy paddle through the rivers and trials. Even exile will certainly come your way. But to Abraham and Jacob, to the people of Israel, Jesus says it to the disciples and the Holy Spirit confirms it to the early church. To us, God says, I will be with you. God is our Emmanuel. We're reminded of this even more so now in the Christmas season. God is our ever-present help. But then he goes further. He doesn't just stop there. He tells us, do not fear. Do not be afraid. I have redeemed you. I've rescued you. He said, I have redeemed you. Meaning it has already begun to take place. I've already begun to deliver you. You don't have to worry. The plan is in place and it's underway. Your deliverance has already started. Your change has begun. Joy is just around the corner. Whether you can see it or not. Whether you can feel it or not. You can trust it. You can believe it. I have redeemed you. And he says in verse 4, 
And this is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. In verse four, he says, because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. He says the same thing to us. He is telling this to us wherever you are today because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. Let's hear those words over yourself again because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. Underline those words, commit them to memory. To God, you are precious. To God, you are special. To God, you are important. To God, you are highly esteemed. You are cherished. You are so very valuable. God says, because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. Because of this, I will redeem you. In fact, he already has. Although he was God himself, he sent his son to be born of the Virgin Mary. From the very beginning, he came with the assignment to free us from our sins. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. We didn't deserve to be saved, brothers and sisters. Our sinfulness had proven that we didn't love God the way we should have. According to the law, we should have died. We should have remained slaves to sin. Jesus certainly didn't deserve to die on our behalf. But that's what redeem means. It means to buy back, to release from blame or debt, to free from captivity. When we're enslaved to sin or find ourselves in captivity, we need a savior. The wages of sin is death, but God loves us too much to leave us where we are. Rather than leave us there, he sent his son for us. You know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The debt that we should have paid, the price that we should have paid for our own sins, Christ paid on our behalf. Can you imagine the depth of love it took to stand in our place? Michael W. Smith sings, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sins upon that cross. Jesus had lived a perfect and sinless life. But God commends his love towards us. And yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us so much that for our sake, he made him sin to, who was no sin to, that we might become the righteousness of God. God did whatever he had to do, including sending his own son to die for us, just to show us how much he loves us. He will go to the ends of the earth, even the depths of hell, just to bring his people back to him, simply because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. And God can and will do everything to bring us back to him. That's how much he loves us. God will even manipulate military and political forces if that's what it takes. You see, God doesn't send a Moses or a plague this time to free the people of Israel. No, this time God does something different. We find in Isaiah that this time God shows up that he is the sovereign God and he will change even the political landscape to save them. You see, God is going to send Cyrus, the king of Persia, to defeat Babylon. 
And he's going to let the people return to Jerusalem. Cyrus will even give them supplies to rebuild the temple walls. God is telling Israel and he's telling us that he will work even within history on our behalf. So we don't have to worry about economic crises we don't have to worry about the fallout from COVID and, and even with a vaccine, what 2021 may look like. We don't have to fear who was or who is or who will be in the White House or Congress. What may be political rant, wrangling on the surface might just be God working things out for our good. We are all praying that 2021 will look so much different from 2020. I know I am, but the truth is, I don't know, but God does. God is in control. When Jesus died to redeem you and me, the earth quaked and the veil in the temple tore in two. The rocks were split and the tombs opened up. The world would never be the same simply because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you, all because God loves us. And this is what you need to know today and remember for whatever 2021 may bring, God does it simply because he loves you. He loved you before you did anything. He loved you before you loved him back. He loved you before you even knew who he is. That's what it means for God to love you first and unconditionally. I know that there are many of you who are struggling with believing that God loves you. This has been a horrible season with sickness and death and so much loss and so much fear. I still have times in my life when I struggle with believing that God loves me. There have been seasons when I felt unloved by God after the death of a loved one. When I look up and realize that so many of my hopes and dreams are still yet unfulfilled when I take inventory of my life and I realize, man, I'm not as far along in my journey with Christ as I thought I would be by now. When the world seems to be caving in on me. But even in the midst of that, God shows up for me every single time, tenderly reminding me of his love through the words of a song or a scripture, a call or a text from a friend, sometimes from one of you a fullness that overwhelms me in prayer. God always demonstrates his love. He always manifests his love to us. Just hang on and pay attention with an open heart. Pastor Peter said this, and it's so good. It's okay to struggle with God's love in order to find God's love. It's okay to struggle with God's love in order to find God's love. It's a journey to find God's love. But guess what? God has been on the journey with us the entire time. God loves you. It's not a feeling all the time, but it's always a fact. Leonard Pitts tells the story of Sam Freeman in his book, Freeman. It's a historical fiction book set near the end of slavery. Sam was a free man and decides to go back into the heart of the South to find his wife, Tilda, who was still enslaved. Now, Sam had been separated from Tilda for about 15 years, 
and he sets out on foot from Philadelphia to the Mississippi farm where him and Tilda once belonged. The Civil War had ended, but Tilda's master was not ready to admit defeat. Nevertheless, Sam determines to get to Tilda. It doesn't matter to him that the journey is a thousand miles. It doesn't matter that he's on foot. It doesn't matter to him that he doesn't know, that she doesn't know that he's even looking for her. It doesn't matter that he's entering a black man's hell. It doesn't matter that he barely had any food, that his shoes fall apart, that he is beaten, he's shot at, he's, he's demeaned, he's hated, that terror awaits him at every corner. All he cares about is getting to his tilde, finding his tilde, redeeming his tilde. All he cares about is getting his beloved out of exile. And so he walks and he walks and he walks just to get to Tilda. Well, I have to tell you, Metro, I am so glad that we have a Jesus that loves us even more than Sam loves Tilda. He loves us more than our mothers or our fathers. He loves us more than any man or woman ever could. He loves us in spite of our mess and in spite of our brokenness and in spite of our sinfulness. He doesn't mind coming down to save us. He didn't mind the false allegations. Jesus didn't mind getting whipped and he didn't mind getting mocked. He didn't mind being spat on. He didn't mind the crown of thorns. He didn't mind taking on my sins and taking on your sins. He didn't mind getting nailed to a cross because he knew he was doing it for me and he knew that he was doing it for you. He didn't mind the borrowed tomb. And he didn't mind that the world thought it was over. And he didn't mind that Friday night came and, and Saturday and all day Saturday. But Sunday morning, he got up and demonstrated not only his power, but his love for you and for me. He knew that only his love could set us free. We sing the song so often, oh, the overwhelming never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. And yet you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Metro, I don't know what 2021 will bring, but know this that whatever it brings, it brings God's love with it. And so go into 2021 with the assurance that you are loved and you will always be loved by your heavenly father. Let us pray. Heavenly father, Lord, we thank you that you have a reckless love for us. God, we thank you that you have a love for us that is inexplicable. That there are no words that can describe how deeply the width and breadth and depth of your love for us, God. God, we thank you that nothing in all creation can ever separate us from your love. And God, we know that some of us are struggling with that. Some of us are struggling to hear that message and accept it in our hearts. And so God, I pray that you would do whatever you have to do to break down those walls in our hearts, 
to soften our hearts, to meet us at whatever our particular need is. God, it doesn't have to look like it looked for me. It doesn't have to look like it looked for Pastor Peter. Whatever your child needs today, God, I pray that you would show up for him, that you would show up for her and show them how much you love them. And I pray that you would do so in such a powerful way that they would never forget it. And God, so we walk into 2021 with anticipation, not about what may or may not happen, but anticipating your love and how you will overwhelm us with it in this new year. God, we thank you and we love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. My brothers and sisters, you know that the sermon never ends just when we say amen. We do invite you to turn to the communication card. If you're new to us at Metro, you would go to emetro.org Sunday and click on the communication card link. I want to take you through what we call next steps. Number one, I don't have one, but I want a relationship with Jesus. Hopefully by now you are convinced that God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't undo it. And so I pray that if you don't have a relationship with God, if you've never said yes to Jesus, that you would do so today. Just check that box and one of our pastors will get back to you and pray with you and speak to you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, I am struggling with believing that God truly loves me and will reach out to a pastor for support. I know how hard it is with all that's going on in the world, with all that's going on in your world. Sometimes it's hard to believe that God do, does love you. If that's you, check that box and in faith and in courage, reach out to a pastor, reach out to me and any one of the other pastoral staff members. We'd be happy to speak with you and pray with you. Number three, I will receive prayer through the virtual prayer room. If you wanna pray with someone now, there are pastors available right now to pray with you. Click on the link, emetro.org prayer and get prayer now if that's what you'd like. And number four, I will attend the virtual New Year's Eve watch night service at 11 p.m. on Thursday, December 31st. This Thursday at 11 p.m. we'll be doing our virtual watch night New Year's Eve service with Ebenezer Baptist Church. And hopefully you will join us. We're going to have a wonderful time and we're going to pray and worship in the new year together. God bless you, Metro.